0: Christ is risen. Thanks, Doug. You you nailed the confusion in their voice. (laughs) We should get everyone to not read the scripture then before, and they can nail. That's actually a really good idea. Are we still doing all right? We're still here? Awesome. And so for the, here at Red Deer Lake, for the Easter season, the plan has been, and will continue probably to be, to keep reading some of the resurrection stories in the Bible and ask one of the most important, best theological questions we can ask. So what? How is this story my story? What do these stories tell us about how to be human and alive in this world? What do they tell us about what it means to be the church here and now? And it's really the question we should ask of of any uh, part of our faith and spirituality because it helps us embrace the idea that what we're doing here, this whole faith and spirituality, this following Jesus thing, it's not just a Sunday morning activity that we check off before we go to lunch, but it's all about helping us become transformed and renewed, becoming particular kinds of people who live in a particular kind of way. And so on Easter, we talked about how that particular way is about embracing the ridiculous. And last week, we talked about how uh, it's through peace and breath that we can overcome those things that terrify us. And today, today the plan is to just scratch the surface on something that's that's really important and really challenging to our faith and spirituality, Uh, something very specific about that particular way of being in the world. Uh, and something that I think is pretty counterintuitive to, to how the world teaches us how to live. And to talk about that, uh, I think we're going to talk about the point they are all trying to make. And then we'll have two truths and the questions they ask us. But before we do that, uh, would you bow your heads with me and say a prayer, please? So let's pray. So God, this time is for you. It's a chance when we try to be present, we try to be open, and we hear what you're saying to us, us as individuals, but also us as a community of faith. And so, God, I ask that you take these words, make them your own, speak through them, under them, around them, give us something to chew on, and we ask that you do your thing. Amen. So let's start Let's start with this. Within the Jesus tradition, there is a really core and foundational idea. And that idea is this. God meets us where we're at. We have a God who isn't far away indifferent, and detached, but a God who is here connected and invested to our lives. We have a God who doesn't expect us to come to her, having to climb up the right mountain or say the right prayer. But we have a God who first comes to us, showing up in exactly the way that we need it. I mean, it's a very cool idea, isn't it? This idea that God meets us where we're at. It's another one of those upside-down things that Jesus gives us, because it's the exact opposite how we think an almighty, powerful God would work. We think we've got to go there, but instead God comes here. God meets us where we're at that shows up in the way that we need and we can understand. And if we look at the past few weeks' worth of stories, we can see this is one of the points that the writers of the Bible are trying to make. So we have Mary, Easter morning, unsure of who she is anymore after Jesus' death, spun, reeling from the crucifixion, wondering, who am I now that he's gone? She needs to hear her name spoken. And it's only then that she remembers who she is, what she's about, and what her value and purpose is. And then the next week we have Thomas, untethered by everything that's going on, floating up into chaos. He needs to be able to see and touch Jesus in order to become grounded and rooted once again. And we have the story today. The two disciples halfway to Emmaus, so full of desolation and despair, They needed that intimacy that only a meal brings in order to see that Jesus is still alive and with them. And I think it's something that we can see throughout our whole faith story. But we can also turn it back on ourselves and we can see the ways that God has shown up in our own lives and worlds. So take a moment. Ask yourself, where has God met you? Where are the places that God has shown up in your lives? How has God met you there and drawn you deeper into life? Sometimes it's really obvious and big. Sometimes it's very subtle and requires a bit of squinting to see. Uh, Maybe for some of you it's the peace that being in creation brings. Or maybe it's the laughter of children through which God has spoken. Or maybe for you it's in your doubts and your wanderings that God has shown up pointing the way uh, back home. Whatever it is, we all have stories about how God has shown up in our lives and world and has met us where we're at. And I think that says something really beautiful about the kind of God we have. We have a God that makes the first move, we have a God who through the ordinary, brings the extraordinary into our lives. And we have a God that bends and changes as we bend and change. Always there, always speaking to us, always meeting us where we are. And while I think that's definitely a takeaway from this story that we're talking about, um, I think there's a different point that the writers of the Bible might be trying to make. And it's one that's probably just, if not more, important. And that point is this. The way that God meets us is just as important as the fact that God does meet us. The way that God meets us is just as important as the very fact that God does come and meet us. And the writers of these stories, they knew that we can learn something about God, ourselves, about what it means to be human, from how God shows up. Again, you can see this in the stories that we've covered. We learn from Mary's story about Jesus showing up as the gardener, that Jesus is the one that helps cultivate a life of beauty and purpose, justice and belonging. We learn from Thomas's story that Jesus showing up with wounds, with holes and scars, as my friend Matt would say, uh, sometimes our hope can be full of holes. Sometimes the things we hope and long for aren't going to be as perfect and complete as we want them to be. And as people wanting to learn about God and how to live, the point these writers are trying to make is we need to pay attention to the way that God shows up in our world. Are you with me so far? Alright, so, if that's just as important, when it comes to this story, the story that Doug read us this morning, we have one question we have to ask. Why a stranger? And of all the ways that Jesus could have shown up to those disciples, why a stranger? And what does that say to us about being particular kinds of people living in a particular kind of way? Now, there are probably all kinds of places we can go with this. Uh, But over the past few days, I think there are a few things I've discovered going on here. And there's two truths. And there are some questions they ask us. And so we'll explore those this morning, if that is cool with you. So the first truth that this whole stranger thing offers us. It's really interesting, I think, that Jesus chose to show up as a stranger. Because really, on one level, what's a stranger? It's just some guy on the road, isn't it? Just some random dude walking along, going in the same direction. It's really, it, it, it could be anyone. Which is to say that Jesus showed up as someone just like us, just like any one of you, just some person traveling along on a road. And I wonder if the truth we can find in this is that we, you, me, all of us here today, regardless of who we are, where we come from, what we've done, or where we're at, We can all be that stranger on the road to Emmaus. We all have the capacity to be the stranger that God shows up through. Which, while pretty intimidating and daunting, it's pretty amazing, isn't it? We all have the ability to be Jesus to somebody else. We all have the ability to bring light and life into someone's world. And so if that's one of the... At the heart of our faith and spirituality, some of the questions it will ask us, and I'll just leave you guys to rumble with this. I can't answer these for you. How can we be a stranger to others? If God's Spirit can show up through people like us, what do we need to do to make that happen? How can we be Jesus to others? So put those in your back pocket. Think about those on the way home. Uh, And spend some time wondering how can you better allow God to show up through you? So that's the first truth. Those are the first questions. And I think there's one more question and truth in here uh, that this whole stranger thing opens up to us. When we say the word stranger, what, what happens inside of you? Does it feel like a pretty loaded word? Pretty heavy word? Who was taught some version of stranger danger growing up? Yeah, I think we all were. That's something we certainly taught our kids. It it certainly exists within our world. Uh, We all got some of that. And and, and while there's certainly some wisdom in teaching our kids about stranger danger, uh, stranger danger also exists on a more fundamental and more pervasive level in our culture, and our world. And I think it tends to operate um, in this idea that those who don't look like us, those who don't think like us, those who don't sound like us, those who don't belong, you treat them with suspicion. You avoid them, and you treat them with a bit of animosity. And the thing that that idea does, the way it affects our world and shapes how we live, Um, it creates a world of us versus them, doesn't it? It creates this idea of we have to look after our own. It creates this general suspicion of anyone who is not us, anyone who is the other, we need to treat first and foremost, and maybe even only, with hesitation and suspicion. Are you with me? And we don't really need to look too, too far to see that. Look at some of our cultural attitudes towards immigration. Look at nimbyism. Not in my backyard, you won't. Look at gentrification. And we can see how that idea of stranger danger shapes how we move, live, and have our being in this world. And while I'm sure there are all kinds of very legit evolutionary things that took us to this place, here's a really interesting and important thing to think about when we're talking about strangers within our faith and our spirituality. That whole stranger danger mentality, nowhere does it exist within the Jesus tradition. Nowhere can you find it in our biblical narrative. The only thing you can find there, in fact, is quite the opposite. There's this really cool story in Genesis uh, where God shows up to Abraham, and God is about to say something profound and amazing and prophetic, something that Abraham needs to hear that's going to launch him down this road of becoming the father of many, many nations. And just when God is about to speak, two strangers show up at Abraham's door, and Abraham tells God, hold on. I've got to go meet these two strangers and give them some food. Abraham tells God to wait. It's, yeah, you should laugh at that. Like, I've got to put you on hold, God. Hold on a minute. Two strangers just showed up at my door. And we laugh at it because it seems to us, and we're certainly taught this way, that Abraham has his priorities wrong. Like, dude, you don't tell God to Wait. Isn't that the whole thing about becoming spiritual people, that we have God at the core of our lives, that we serve God first and other people second? And yet, within the ancient Midrash, this rabbinical commentary on the scriptures, there's an expansion on this story that actually says, Abraham, he had his priorities right. That when Abraham told God to hold on, i got to go meet these two people at my door, God did not say, watch, you can't put me on hold. But God said, of course I'll wait. Welcome them in. Do what you got to do. I'll be here when you, get, when you get back. What we see in our faith tradition isn't the call to avoid the stranger, but rather we see the call to welcome in and embrace the stranger. As one of my Jewish uh, scholar friends would say, our hospitality to the stranger trumps our worship to God. We, like Abraham, are supposed to serve the stranger before we take time to go and listen and worship to God. When it comes to our faith and spirituality, when it comes to being the church, when it comes to this wisdom we're supposed to have that shapes how we live, move, and operate in the worlds, our tradition teaches us that the people who don't look like us the people who don't sound like us, the people who don't think like us, the others. They're not meant to be feared. They're not meant to be excluded. They're not, not meant to be treated with suspicion. But rather, they're meant to be embraced and they're meant to be served. So if that's one of the truths that our tradition offers us, the questions, the things that we got to rumble with, how can you welcome in and serve the stranger? Who is the other for you? Who is that stranger in your lives? Is it a person of a different ethnicity? Is it a person of a different faith? Person of different color? Background? Person with a sketchy background? Whatever it is, who are the strangers in your lives and your world, and how can you serve and embrace them? So, two questions for you to take home. How can we be strangers to others? How can we show up and be Jesus to those who need it the most? And how can we welcome in and serve the strangers? How can we move from an us versus them to a, a we, an us, a group? So may you take those questions home. May you struggle well. And to that we say, Amen.